Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to another edition of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Hope you are doing well and keeping healthy in these pretty scary times for many people. I do hope you are managing your way through it. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm going to preface this right out of the gate by saying that the show today is going to be mostly COVID-19 related, and I think that's going to be true of most of the shows we have moving forward, and a couple of reasons for that. I mean, the first is that the world is effectively at a standstill. Everything except for this virus has been shelved because of the virus, with one exception, and we'll also talk about that later on, and that is the conservative leadership race. The other part of that, though, is that this is something that is really cutting at the core of pretty much every facet of society, whether it's, you know, the social cohesion, whether it's public health, obviously, economics, all of this right now is impacted by it. And and I don't want to make it a depressing show. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to be cracking jokes throughout it because that's how I cope with many of the things that I, I think uh, have a, a negative edge in society. Laughter is, is the best medicine, as they say. But also, I, I want to tell you that I, I'm going to be trying to highlight some of the different stories that come through this and, and also showcasing a narrative in this that I, I think is absent from a lot of the other coverage. So that's at least the plan right now. I don't know if it's going to change moving forward. Last week, we had a bit of a different approach to the show, and I, I want to talk about that right out of the gate, too, because last week the shows were interviews with leadership candidates in the conservative leadership race. And I wrote a column about this at TNC.news, almost lamenting the fact that we had to publish those interviews because I wanted to talk about COVID, but we had made commitments to these candidates that we would interview them and publish those interviews before March 25th because that is the cutoff at which point uh, candidates must submit their $300,000 and and 3,000 signatures to the Conservative Party. And we had said that we wanted to get those interviews out before March 25th And doing that meant that we had to prioritize putting those out amid a a crisis that we didn't know existed when we started scheduling and setting up those interviews. So I'm going to be talking about the conservative leadership later on, but I wanted to tell you that was why last week we had those interviews out in lieu of other content that we might have done had things shaken up differently. And and as I will also say later on, this was not something I wanted to do. I would have loved it if the conservative leadership race was just a far off in the future thing that we don't even need to worry about right now. But let's talk about what's happening with coronavirus, because a case that jumped out at me on the weekend is that a woman with COVID-19 was arrested in Quebec City after she decided to break her quarantine. Now, this is a case in the Montreal Gazette where the police arrested a woman on Friday, acknowledged this to the media. They said intervention was carried out with the goal of reissuing. So I think that means they were basically just trying to get her back into her home. And this was something that was done under the Public Health Act which apparently puts into power all of the appropriate measures 
where the non-respect of instructions can jeopardize the health and safety of the public. Our ultimate priority is the health and safety of all, and we will use all the necessary and required measures at our disposition to make sure instructions are respected. So this is a woman who tested positive. It wasn't just a precautionary isolation like a lot of people who have returned from travel abroad have done. It sounds like she actually had the virus. But the part that I found interesting was the aspect that police acknowledge they are using surveillance which I did not know. So the center noted that when a person receives an isolation order, police are asked to do surveillance to make sure it's respected. And in the case of this woman, they found her out for a walk and then she was taken to the hospital and then presumably brought back home, I would hope. That part isn't in the story. So you have police doing active surveillance of people for the purposes of mandating these quarantines. Now, these this is just Quebec at this point. I haven't heard of this happening elsewhere, although Saskatchewan is allowing a huge fines to be put on people who violate the precautionary order. So if you have a concert, if you have a big party, you could be fined thousands of dollars in Saskatchewan right now. And I think what's fascinating here is that all of these measures and mechanisms that government uses to keep people safe, that's the stated goal of this, they only work when people buy into them. They only work when people believe them, when people agree with them, and when the expectation does not uh, come at a higher level than the purported inconvenience of following that expectation. So right now, for example, uh, my wife and I are working from home, which I can tell you is, is as absolutely delightful as it sounds. And when we are going out to do grocery shopping, it's very infrequently and we're doing all the things that we have to do. And this is just what we are doing in that effort of social distancing. But one of the problems right now is that you've got all of these terms that are being thrown out that no one has ever heard before two weeks ago, flatten the curve, social distancing, Distance, self-isolation. These are not concepts that people know. So don't get me wrong. If you are testing positive for COVID-19 and you're told you're in quarantine and you go out for a walk, I think you deserve to be uh, publicly shamed and you deserve to be sent back home. And I would be interested, though, in knowing what went into this, because I'm entirely convinced that there are a lot of people that don't understand what's expected of them. And that's true with isolation and, and quarantine. So, for example, is it that you aren't allowed to see anyone? Is that you're supposed to, if you see someone, sit six feet away from them? Is it that you're not supposed to go grocery shopping? Is it that if you go, you're supposed to uh, just run around through the aisles so you don't run you don't run into someone? Which, let me tell you, is hard to do at the small grocery store that I shop at, where like you. <laughs> Basically, you're getting boxed in because someone's coming down one aisle and then the other aisle, and, and at some point you just have to, you know, ram your cart into one of them and, and run by if you don't want to be in that six-foot radius. I don't advise that, by the way. But, but in all honesty, so what does social distancing mean? Does it mean don't go out? Does it mean go out infrequently? Does, like, because I've seen a bunch of graphics circulating about this that say going for a walk can be fine. So it could be this woman thought she was entirely within her rights to go for a walk because she was alone. Maybe she was wearing a mask, wasn't keeping with, uh, you know, wasn't keeping a, a close distance to people. That's not to say she's wrong. But it is interesting when you get to this point where all of these things that people be, are being asked to do, 
become a lot murkier. And, and once you put state surveillance and arrests there, people are going to be a lot less willing to comply. People are going to be a lot less willing to go along with this, hey, it's just about being a good neighbor, when all of a sudden the police are cracking skulls. And, and that's not what happened here. But I, I'm warning that this could be the direction we're headed down, especially if this new reality in which we're living goes longer than a couple of weeks. I, I know other people have said this, but it, it's true, and I think bears repeating here, that for a couple of days, it's a novelty, a couple of weeks, maybe it's a vacation. It goes longer than that, and this is a world that we are not set up for. This is a world that companies are not set up for. This is a, a way of living that individuals are not set up for. I mean, you look at the fact that you've got this mass toilet paper shortage, despite the fact that I don't even think explosive diarrhea is one of the symptoms of COVID-19, but for some reason you can't find toilet paper anywhere in North America. And if you have socks in a washing machine, you can make do, but the reality is we're looking at a world right now that yes, everyone's trying to do it, everyone's trying to go along with it, but I don't think people are prepared for what happens if this goes on for longer than a couple of weeks. And look, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing conflicting information here, which is why I almost don't even read some of the forecasts, because in some cases I'm seeing people say, oh, everything's doing really well in Canada. Canada is doing a good job. And, uh, you know, we don't have a, a huge growth. And then other people are saying, oh, this is going to get worse before it gets better. So you either have uh, it's going to get better or it's going to get worse. Uh, you know, I, I would obviously like it to be the former, but if it's the latter, people have to be prepared. And as much as everyone now knows these terms, social isolation and social distance, these don't mean that much if you don't know what's expected of you and if you don't necessarily want to go along with it. And if people are, are feeling isolated and they're becoming, uh, you know, stir crazy as the old saying goes. And once you start talking about state enforcement of these sorts of orders, you're going to breed a, a lot more resentment and you're going to breed resistance to these orders and to these directives. And, and look, I've been watching every day for the past week, which feels like the past year, press conferences that Justin Trudeau is doing every day, that Ontario Premier Doug Ford is doing. I, I'm watching some of the Alberta ones as well. Uh, Christian Freeland, Bill Blair, the, the COVID-19 committee and the Canadian government. I'm, I'm watching their daily briefing as well. And, uh, you know, the one thing that, that I find interesting, especially in Ontario, and I don't know if it's just because of the reporters that are working the Ontario legislative beat right now, but they keep trying to get Doug Ford to say, you know, when are you going to crack skulls on, on people? And, and all of the questions, not all, many of the questions that I, I'm seeing there are really coming from that uh, premise that, oh, you know, what are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if this happens? And Doug Ford, who I, I know somewhat has really taken, I think, a very good position on this, which is, listen, you know, we don't need to look at government as, as being the answer for this. We want everyone to just do the right thing. And like I said earlier, be a good neighbor and respect this and, and all of that. And I think that's all well and good. I hope it's true and I hope it works. But what happens if it doesn't? What happens if it gets to the point where people are not wanting to play ball? People are not wanting to go along with it. And I don't have an answer to that question. But that story from Quebec City really rubbed me the wrong way because it gave a glimpse of what might become the new reality moving forward. 
And look, I, I don't think you have enough police resources in Canada to babysit people that are not respecting or complying with what they should be. And look, I mean, right now, I'm sure you've all seen that video that's gone around, just in case you haven't, I'll, I'll play a clip of it here in a moment, of these people that went to spring break and decided that everything was fine and they didn't need to change their plans on account of, of COVID-19. Uh, take a look. If I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. So we're just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. Like, it's really messing up with my spring break. What is there to do here other than go to the bars or the beach and they're closing all of it? It's really messing up. I think they're blowing it way out of proportion. I think it's doing way too much. Doing us bad. We need a refund. This virus ain't that serious. It's serious. It's more serious things out there like hunger and poverty, and we need to address yes, that. Yeah, I mean, we planned this a long time ago, and it was kind of up in the air if we still go, but like we're here. I just turned 21 this year, so I'm here to party, so it's kind of disappointing, but we're just making the most of it. We met these other people in our little Airbnb spot, so we're just hanging out with them and trying to get drunk before everything closes. I mean, it sucks, but. We're gonna make the best of it. We're enjoying, it. Our We're enjoying ourselves. Now. It sucks, and I'm from New Orleans, so this really sucks. However, we're gonna enjoy ourselves. We having day parties all day. It's my birthday, St. Patrick's Day. Turn up. We're just trying to roll with the boy. We're just living for the moment. We're just going for. We're just gonna do what happens when it happens. When stuff closes, we're gonna do it when it closes. But uh, uh, besides that, we're just trying to have the best trip we can. We're so COVID-19, where in 19 also equals the number of combined IQ points of everyone in that video. Uh, if I get corona, I get corona. That's probably the uh, <laughs> anthem for a generation right now. Uh, but, uh, but again, you know, the Darwin Awards are... Uh, I'm sure you've heard is this internet phenomenon where you talk about people that had like the most spectacularly predictable death. And it's basically the thinning the herd, the natural selection of Darwin. And the thing about it is that, and I, not that I wish death on anyone, obviously, except Harvey Weinstein, he's got COVID-19 and I, I wouldn't care if he went, but anyone else, I, I don't. And the thing is like, you've got people that are saying, if I get it, I get it. I don't think anyone cares about what happens to them. If they get sick, it's like, well, tough luck. The problem with a virus is that you're dealing with one infection potentially translating into dozens and dozens. You look at that famous patient 31 in South Korea where pretty much one person, the 31st individual to contract COVID-19, was responsible for most of the, the bulk of the country's infections just because of that exponential growth of the virus. So the thing is, like, we're still dealing, and I don't know the numbers, but there are still people from Canada, presumably, that decided to go away for spring break or have gone on vacation and come back. And these people, I think we should be worried about because they are being told when they enter Canada again, don't forget, you've got to isolate for 14 days. But they were also told by the same people, don't go away. And they did. So if they didn't listen to the don't go away command, how likely are they to listen to the stay isolated for 14 days, don't interact with others demand that they're getting? 
And and that, I think, is the X factor. That's the big variable here that I'm not sure we can necessarily predict, which is why, I mean, you have to make a point of protecting yourself, and hence the precautionary isolation that I've been doing and, and that a lot of people I, I know have been doing. And it, it's not pleasant. I, I Like I said, I mean, the novelty wears off after a couple of days. Now, for me, I mean, I'm in the same studio that I'm always in. I, I work from home. But there there's a difference between working from home because you want to and working from home because you are not allowed to leave home or, or you're not supposed to leave home. So there is a, a mental difference in, you know, the reason you're doing something. Whereas, look, there's nothing I'd love more a lot of times than just not leaving home on the weekend. It's different when you can't, like when, when this is expected of you and you'll be flogged in the streets if you dare to leave your home. So that is going to be the variable, the, the spring breakers, when they come back, and are they going to listen to what they're being told to do? Because this is changing a lot of things. And, and you know, I, I still think that the length of time, even if things go well, the length of time here is going to be a, a big problem. Like, you look at uh, the 2020 Tokyo Games, which at this point are scheduled in July, and April, May, June, July. So that's four months away, which when you say that sounds like forever. It, it sounds like it's just miles away. You don't even need to worry about it. You don't even need to think about it. Canada has become the first country to say it is not sending athletes there. So Canada at this point is not competing in the Tokyo Games. Australia, I believe, has joined or at the very least said at this point they're pushing for a postponement. So the International Olympic Committee is uh, saying that they are starting on July 24th. Now, that will change if key countries decide they're not going to participate in the Games. And it was interesting. Last week, uh, one of the daily press conferences, uh, the media asked uh, the ministers who were on this uh, dais whether they would support athletes going to Tokyo and with everything that's happening. And they didn't really give a straight answer. Christian Freeland was like, well, uh, you know, we ask that people avoid non-essential international travel. And it's like, well, wait, are, are you, is this essential or non-essential? Because there are a lot of people who think the Olympics are essential. I'm not one of them, but people think that people say that. So <laughs> uh, in, in that particular case, it sounds like the Olympics will have to have a bit more of an introspection than they do right now uh, about saying it's business as usual and everything can go on and everything can go forward. So this is, I mean, I don't want to scare people. I don't. Uh, but this is the, if I did, I would just talk about like Justin Trudeau being stuck in office because we can't have another election because of COVID-19, uh, which is actually more terrifying than this, which is, so that was a good way to lead into it. Uh, this comes from the National Post Stopping COVID-19 could require eight months of aggressive social distancing outbreak modeling shows. Now, she's basing this, Sharon Kirkey, the writer, on an email uh, that has now become just ubiquitous across the country among doctors. It's from Dr. Brent Wolfram, who's a former medical officer with the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, and he says that, you know, basically it's going to be an eight-month-long fight Stress, uncertainty, social isolation, periods of crisis, periods of calm, and it, that's how it's going to be. So he's published something here in the uh, top medical journal in Canada. And ultimately, I think it's quite terrifying to think of whether the world could sustain this for eight months and, and what this looks like. 
Because this is the problem. If you can contain it to a couple of countries and say Canada is not one of them, does Canada need to continue with this aggressive social distancing, as it's called? Or is it just enough to keep travel restrictions in place, which is why travel restrictions should have been among the first things that were done here? Now, I want to just share with you how ridiculous this has gotten. We went from, we would never close the border, uh, closing borders don't work, viruses don't know borders. Uh, Patty Haidu was the one beating this drum, the Canadian health minister. And then a couple of weeks later, she has gotten to where she is as of this past weekend, which is we might even consider allowing provincial borders to close. So she went from, we can't shut down Canada's border, it's never going to do anything, to, oh my goodness, you shouldn't even be able to go from uh, PEI to Nova Scotia at this point. And, and I find it, you know, again, I, I don't take delight in where we are as a country, but I, I do think there is a benefit in the told you so thing, because these people were so arrogantly saying that their open border... Uh, ideology was trumping science and disease containment and that their open border virtue signaling was apparently more powerful than COVID-19 and the coronavirus, that this whole hashtag welcome to Canada song and dance was better than what all of the viral experts in the world were saying and doing. And now they've all come around to what most sensible Canadians were pushing for right out of the gate. They've all come around on this because they realize that, hey, just saying a virus knows no borders isn't actually true. And you may not be able to eradicate a virus through shutting down borders, but you can certainly delay and dampen its effect in your own country, especially if that country is Canada, which is geographically removed from the epicenter of this virus. So it is interesting, and just to walk you through what happened here. So at first, it's a virus knows no borders. That's the line. And then Justin Trudeau saying, oh, you know, we, we can't shut down borders. And by the way, this last week that I was talking about that's felt like a year, at even within that week, the government's position changed. And then the government drops a bombshell, I think it was on Tuesday, that we are going to be suspending all non-essential travel. That basically the government was saying, if you're not a Canadian citizen, if you don't meet uh, these criteria, you can't come into the country. And then that was still exempt for U.S. citizens. And then a day later, it's okay, we are now suspending non-essential travel between Canada and the U.S. Now, there are a lot of variables there, like uh, trade and uh, the definition of essential the government hasn't quite defined. And this is now in effect, however. You cannot just, if you're in uh, London, Ontario, like I am, and you want to take a weekend in Chicago, you can't do it. If you are in Chicago and you, for some reason that I don't understand, want to take a weekend in London, Ontario, you can't do that. So what you can do is go across the border for trade. It sounds like if you have family on the other side, you there you might be able to, but, but again, it, it's unclear how you prove it. And I fear that the manifestation of this might be in some respects like the honor system. But what we do know is that there is still a restriction and the government has determined the need for a restriction and all of the international flights that are still coming into Canada, it sounds like are probably empty because most people are ineligible to be here. So this is something that should have been done right 
from the outset of this when this was just a disease that China was exporting directly to other countries. Because remember, at the very beginning, the only cases, the only cases anywhere in the world were people from China going from one country to another. And then they get there and then someone catches it there. But they were they could all be traced to China. And then it got to a point where it was more difficult because you had various epicenters, the, the big three being China, Iran, and Italy. And in Canada, I think we got more, I, I may be wrong about this, but I, I think we got more from Iran than from China just because there was that surge a, a couple of weeks ago where it seemed like all of the, the, new, uh, the new cases were people that had been to Iran and, and just got back. So... Let's talk about this sensibly here. If you have a virus, and I know it's supposedly racist when Donald Trump says it's a Chinese virus or a foreign virus, but that is a matter of fact. It is those things. And it's not to say you should take out your anger on Chinese people. They are not the problem. But it's a virus that has a national point of origin. And if it has a national point of origin, it's not unreasonable or racist or xenophobic to say, hey, we don't think people that might be carrying that virus by virtue of the geography of the virus, not the nationality of the people. It's about geography, not nationality. We would be right to restrict that. Now, look, this is too little too late now, and I know that. But when every expert is saying we need to prepare ourselves for the next wave, this is how you do it, by understanding what went wrong the first time around. And let's face it, we've got a government right now that's saying all of these things that were terrible yesterday are the right idea today. Uh, stopping illegal border crossers from entering Canada. For three years, the government's been saying there's no way to do it. You, you can't do it. You can't send them back. You can't block them. You can't close Roxham Road. And then overnight, it was literally overnight. One day, the government says, oh, no, illegal border crossers were still letting in and we're going to put them in quarantine. And then the next day, it was, yeah, we've reached an agreement with the United States. We are sending them back. Okay. I mean... I applaud it. I welcome it. I've been calling for that for three years. But again, why is it only now that the government has said it can do that when for the past three years it was, how dare you say that? You're just a racist, old stock Canadian. It's amazing what can happen in a time of crisis. Now, this is unsubstantiated, but I'm fairly confident that this was pushed for by the Americans, that Trudeau went along with it because Trump wanted it and not because Trudeau wanted it. And I mean, what he got in return, I, I don't know, but it does very much look as though this is a situation where the U.S. stands to benefit more because now it can say, listen, we're worried about immigration on northern and southern borders, and it gives Donald Trump the political cover to take the southern border a lot more seriously, which is where the big problems are. Let's face it. I mean, I love Canada and I love America. Uh, not many people are, are going from Canada to the U.S. illegally by sneaking across the uh, Vermont-Quebec border, or the New York-Quebec border. So I think that's where uh, we look at a bit of 3D chess that might be going on here. But regardless of the motivation, it's a fact to say that this was something that Trudeau said was impossible and shouldn't have been done one day. And then by the time the next day rolls around, it's we are going to return. Now, so far, the government is not committing to extending this beyond the border restriction period here. They aren't admitting that maybe... They can keep this going long term. I would love it if they did. 
And more importantly, I know a lot of people are approaching this with a fair bit of skepticism, saying, well, I'll believe it when I see it. I will as well. But at this point, it was a very clear and clearly delineated position that if you enter Canada illegally to claim asylum, you will be returned immediately. You won't even enter the system. You won't enter the pipeline. You won't even become a part of the Immigration and Refugee Board process. You will just be sent right back to where you came from. And this is long overdue. If you don't respect a country's borders, you aren't respecting the country's laws, and therefore you aren't respecting the country. And I would say we could also fairly say that a virus may not respect borders, but a virus's living host has to. Because the virus is not just like swimming around in the air and deciding that, oh, you know, I'm going to go and uh, check out Toronto. And oh, no, I don't like it there. I'm going to go to check out New York. And oh, like the virus is not just like the little, what is it, the feather in Forrest Gump just going all over the place. No, the virus is in a person. The virus is in a person, and I'm sorry, but, you know, unless a border guard is hosting a virus exorcism and the virus gets into the country and the person doesn't, if a person is denied entry to Canada, they are not going to be bringing the virus into Canada. So that's one fewer case. And if you look at the exponential growth of viruses, like patient 31 in South Korea, you know that one person can actually be tens of people, thousands of people. This is what happens... And this is known by the government of Canada. Now, I'm not one of these people, believe it or not, that hates everything Trudeau does because of a dislike for Trudeau. I, I think he's actually been a very capable communicator through this crisis. And I, I think that goes for Christian Freeland as well. I don't agree with all the policies they've taken, but they have been uh, available every day and they have been making their point known and, and communicating what the government is doing clearly every single day. And I think that is very much commendable. I think Doug Ford uh, has done a great job as well. Jason Kenney has done a great job. I haven't been following as much the other provinces. I know BC's government has done a fair bit. I don't know about uh, the Premier John Horgan, but the, the public health officer there I know has done a fair bit. So, so there is a good communications strategy that's at play here. But you need to be having a, a message worth communicating. And, and that's where just the sheer incoherence of the border discussion up until just a few days ago really could have made this crisis a heck of a lot worse than it needed to be. And that's the, the big problem that I think needs to be understood now is that if you ever want to uh, deal with this in the future and prevent it, you have to make those moves a lot more quickly. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. We are back here on The Andrew Lawton Show. And listen, I said at the beginning of this program that I want to make it clear that the world is on hold in, in many cases, and COVID-19 is the priority. It's what people are living and breathing. That was a cruel joke. I didn't mean that as a joke. It just ended up coming out as one. Uh, and also that if you don't accept that things aren't business as usual, you are, are grossly missing the mark. And this is where the Conservative Party of Canada, a party that I voted for, uh, has very much been, I think, in the wrong on this. And I'm not a, a party loyalist, so when I criticize a, a party, it's about giving credit where it's due and, and giving criticism where it's due. But the Conservative Party of Canada 
has refused to budge on its leadership race, which right now is scheduled to go on as though nothing happened in the world in June. But the problem is, is that there are also things between now and then that they are not changing. The, the most imminent is a cutoff March 25th, so that is on Wednesday of this week by which point candidates must submit $300,000 cash and 3,000 signatures to remain in the race. So the way it works is to get in, you have to pony up 25,000 and 1,000 signatures, and then you have to uh, to get access to the membership list of the party, give 150 grand and 2,000 signatures, and to be on the ballot by March 25th, you have to give that final batch of money and signatures. And as it stands now, if you look at the uh, CPC membership or the CPC leadership page, the candidates, as of recording time Monday morning, four of them have done the max, Leslin Lewis, Peter McKay, Aaron O'Toole, and Derek Sloan, and two of them have not achieved that threshold yet, Marilyn Gladue and Rudy Husney. Now, last week, I actually interviewed uh, four of these candidates, and of those, we have uh, two of them, or three of them that are out, uh, Marilyn Gladue, Rudy Husney, and Derek Sloan. I may interview with Leslie Lewis will probably be out sometime next week. But the thing is, uh, the idea there about these two candidates is that they've said, listen, we can't campaign because of the pandemic. So all of these fundraising events that we were supposed to do, we can't do. All of these member drives to get people to sign up, we can't go to. So they've asked the party to postpone that March 25th cutoff, and the party has said no. Now, Rick Peterson, who was also running up until, I think, Saturday, was saying the same thing. Now, Rick Peterson, who ran for the leadership last time, he didn't get a huge chunk of the vote, but still, he raised money, he made it on the ballot. He said, listen, I, I mean, I am not going to be able to do what you want me to do by March 25th with the COVID-19 pandemic. Ergo, I'm just bowing out of the race. So Rick Peterson took the step of saying, listen, I'm, I'm just done. I'm, I'm not going to be able to be on the ballot with these circumstances. And the party has still said nothing. Now, the other person who was supposed to be on but is not is Jim Carahalios. Uh, Jim Carahalios was uh, kicked off the ballot by a decision supposedly made by the Conservative Party of Canada's leadership committee. But at this point, it's not actually clear who made that decision. I'm looking at the a statement that was provided to me by the Conservative Party of Canada. And uh, everyone else has now like republished this screenshot that I, I put out of this statement because it was sent to me. And the thing about it is that it says the DRAC, DRAC, was the body that disqualified him. So that's the Dispute Resolution Appeals Committee, and they are tasked with uh, appeals at the chief returning officer decisions with the Leadership Election Organizing Committee. And I mean, you could look in the statement, there are a whole bunch of acronyms, but they say that DRAC issued a ruling that Kara uh, Halios would be disqualified, and that ruling was issued on May 18th after an appeal of a prior decision by the chief returning officer. So I, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but but again, right now, it seems like there are probably more important things to be focused on than internal party politics and internal political and partisan strife. Yet still, you've got the Conservative Party disqualifying a candidate this week for, uh, in, in its words, past comments made through email, mail, and social media earlier in the month. 
And then you've got now uh, leadership candidates that are saying we can't actually run our campaigns because of this pandemic. So all of the up until last weekend or just a few days ago, the only people that were calling on the party to postpone were people that weren't yet on the ballot themselves. Now I'm very grateful that Derek Sloan, who is on the ballot, has nothing to gain from letting other people get on, and Aaron O'Toole, who's one of the the perceived front runners of the race, have both said. We've got to uh, postpone this. The The country needs to focus on unity and health first. Conservative leadership can wait. And Aaron O'Toole actually put out a, a lengthy video to this effect on the weekend. Here's a clip of that video. As a member of parliament seeking to lead the same great party that Sir Robert Borden once did, his personal example has been weighing heavily on me. It was Borden who forged a union government with his political opponents to ensure that the young nation of Canada remained united amid a time of crisis. Therefore, with the example of Robert Borden in my heart and in my mind, today I am proposing three measures. First, I'm asking the leadership committee of the Conservative Party of Canada to delay the Conservative leadership contest, to ensure that all time and resources of our Conservative caucus and our grassroots members can be focused on helping our constituents and the needs of our communities in the fight against COVID-19. Second, I'm asking my leadership team and our thousands of Conservative supporters across the country to devote any support or resources they may have to the needs of their community. Today, Rebecca and I will be making a donation on behalf of our family to the St. Vincent de Paul Food Bank in Bowmanville to help those efforts towards those in need in Durham. Third, I am proposing to the Government of Canada to create a special COVID crisis committee to leverage the best minds we have in Canada's Parliament towards an all-party response to this crisis. As a veteran, business leader and former cabinet minister, I am offering to be a part of this all-party effort. Let us work together to keep our parliamentary democracy strong and to transform accountability into collaborative strength at a time of crisis. I want to thank the thousands of Canadians who've already donated or volunteered on my campaign to be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm not leaving the race. In fact, I believe we will win it. But today I'm proposing that we put the needs of our fellow citizens first. Like Sir John A. Macdonald or Sir Robert Borden before us, we are all engaged in political life to serve and build this great country. And that can be best accomplished by delaying this contest and putting Canada first. Thank you, and God bless Canada amid this challenging crisis. So again, I think what Aaron O'Toole said is entirely valid there, that there are bigger things right now. So when I wrote my column about this, I led off with a very uh, accurate sentiment, I think, which is that I'm baffled and disappointed that I even needed to write this, that uh, the Conservative Party of Canada couldn't just see itself, hmm, I think that we can probably say that things are not business as usual right now. And that's the term I keep going back to. So of this uh, race, of the people in this race, uh, you know, the ones that are at the top, it's easy for them to go dark. It's easy for Peter McKay to carry on. He's doing his town halls and he's sending out emails every day and doing phone stuff. But He's on the ballot, so there's no real benefit to him doing the in-person stuff right now, that retail politics that the lesser-known candidates are trying to do. 
so when I look at some of the other MPs like uh, Marilyn Gladue, here's a, a woman who's very capable, very competent. Uh, my interview with her I, was very well received. Uh, but here's a woman who, again, needs to get out there. And she even said that in the interview, that people like her when they know her. They just don't all know her. So she needs to get out at these events, these fora, these all-candidates meetings, these EDA events that are being hosted across the country. None of them exist anymore. So how is it possible? So listen, the rules are the rules, and I get that. And the rules shouldn't be changed because candidates are falling short. They should be changed because the world has changed since those rules were cemented. The world has changed since this race started. And it looks just tone deaf, which, by the way, is par for the course right now with this Conservative Party of Canada, which also sent out a fundraising email in the midst of the COVID-19 scare last week. So the very heart of the crisis in Canada when things were ramping up and the party sends out an email uh, trying to shake people down for money, which is why I've got a lot of respect for candidates like Rudy Husney and Marilyn Gladue, even if they weren't going to win for saying, listen, I mean, we, we refuse to campaign during some period that is so difficult we aren't going to ask people for money when they are trying to focus on uh, keeping their jobs, getting food on the table, and doing all of these things. Like, how ignorant would we be to do that? And the Conservative Party says not ignorant enough, apparently. That's the CPC's line on this. So to focus so much on this petty partisanship when there is a, a serious bona fide crisis afoot is so baffling to me, but this is what we expect in this political process. And listen, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to last. And, and there is an argument, and I, I get this argument, by the way, that the conservatives need to have a, a leader that is there and ready in the event that something happens. This is the rationale. Now, I think it's possible to delay the cutoff without delaying the race. That's one option. I think you can delay the race altogether. Remember, the Conservatives have a, a policy convention scheduled for November. They could turn that into a leadership convention. That's entirely within their rights. And let's face it, most events right now are, are being canceled, in some cases, by state mandate. I, I mean, it would be, I think it's illegal to have the Conservative Convention, because it's supposed to be in Toronto. Right now, it would be illegal to have the Conservative Convention, where you can't have more than 50 people in a room without uh, the state shaking you down. So <laughs> given that it would be illegal, I think the Conservatives would have a right to say, hmm, we know it's still in a couple of months, but out of an abundance of caution, we're delaying the convention. Now, voting is done by mail, so they're saying that that's not a, an issue. But counting the ballots, that all has to be done by people in a room. People from campaigns need to travel to the counting site, send their scrutineers. So there are things you don't think of that at this point would not be permissible. And again, this is not a discussion that we should be having. I didn't want to publish my interviews with leadership candidates last week. I wanted to talk about COVID-19, but I also didn't want to uh, bring dishonor to a, a pledge that I had made, which is that I'll help you get your messages out before that member cutoff. And the reason, just before anyone criticizes, the reason I'm holding back the Leslin Lewis interview, which was the other one of the four that I did that isn't out yet, is because she's already a verified candidate. So she doesn't need the exposure prior to March 25th. There's a bit of time there. But again, this is inside baseball. I just know that, uh, you know, blind partisanship means I'm going to get criticized for uh, really stupid things. So I'm trying to preempt as much of it as I can.
But this is where things are headed right now. So so I hope, I mean, look, I, I record in the morning and the show comes out in the afternoon. I would love nothing more this week than for all of this to be moot by the time the show comes out because the political party in question has said, you know what? We think all of these people are right. We're moving it. I'm not optimistic though. I am not optimistic, but let me just say a message from the past. If it has changed, I am so happy to be proven wrong if the Conservative Party grows a sense of common sense in the uh, interceding hours between when this was recorded and when it was published. So we'll have more for you in a couple of days. I would also just to, as a plug here, encourage you to tune in to Candace Malcolm's and my new show, True North Update. This is something that is here as long as the crisis is afoot. Daily updates on what's happening, just the headline, no analysis, uh, the, well, minimal analysis. And the whole thing's uh, done uh, within 20 minutes. It's just about what you missed uh, because we realize people are still trying to go about their days and trying to go about their lives. So our goal is to uh, let you know what's happening and, and only what's happening. And if you want the full uh, the full experience, you can still tune in to The Andrew Lawton Show. So I truly hope you are all staying healthy, keeping well. We'll talk to you in a couple of days here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.